Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg, and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report, and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the latest instalment in our coverage of the US congressional hearings into the January the 6th Capitol riot, and claims that Donald Trump set the date for the protest. We'll be catching up shortly with Heidi Sigmund Kuda from the Radicalised Podcast. First, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscribers to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary readers who take out subscriptions to the Byline Times. So please subscribe if you can. You get subscription details at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. So Heidi, so much as ever coming out of these hearings. This is, I think, the seventh one now, the seventh day of hearings. And let's start with this suggestion then that Trump set the date of January the 6th for these far-right groups? Yes, I mean, there's no way to view uh, the information coming out of these incredibly important hearings without looking at uh, Trump's reality TV background and reality TV thuggery. It's all staging. It's all looking for uh, narratives and plot lines and scripts. It has nothing to do with facts and reality TV in our country. Really, I think everybody's kind of learning has become quite a plague upon us. And uh, so, yeah, it's not surprising that this would be staged. And we learned something about premeditated tweets, didn't we? Uh, we learned a lot in that hearing. And um, again, it's uh, there are so many almost Shakespearean level subplots that uh, in three hours, you really get, uh, you know, the mother load of information. And in terms of January the 6th, Trump sent out a tweet, which I think was on December the 19th, calling for a, quote, big protest against the election results, because, of course, Brief reminder, he'd already lost the result. He'd already lost the election to Joe Biden. So he tweeted, statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Donald, that's untrue. His tweet went on to say, big protest in D.C. on January the 6th. Be there, be wild. So that was clearly a call to action. I suppose the, the question is, how much after that was orchestrated either by Trump directly or by his supporters? Oh, well, first, let's not make any mistake about who this man is. He is a micromanager. And the reason that Liz Cheney opened uh, the seventh hearing with the way she did describing the petulant 76-year-old is she's doing the pre-buttle. She's letting people know that the narrative coming out of the propagandists is that, oh, this poor man was manipulated by bad advice. No, Trump is a micromanager. He's involved in absolutely every facet of the narratives and plot lines. So what happens after that tweet? Well, a number of things happened. Uh, Stop the Steel leader Ali Alexander registers the website wildprotest.com. Uh, we realized that many members of his cult immediately responded with, you know, uh, all of their uh, call to arms. You know, we're going to be there. There's going to, you know, we need to have volunteers for the insurrection. 
We see that Twitter employees, we heard from one in the hearing, was incredibly concerned and mortified that there wasn't more being done because this Twitter employee was trying to escalate to the top levels that, you know, there was going to be a bloody insurrection and what was anybody doing about it? And again, so many things for us to kick over and so many things for us to view. But one of them is, what is Twitter? This is a question that we're going to be talking about. What is Twitter? What is its role in all this? Is it serving the people? And this Twitter employee uh, raised a lot of those questions. But clearly, we are talking about a cult leader who sent out a uh, you know call to arms. Everybody, as you know, got locked and loaded. And you know, we found out tragically that uh, one of the gentlemen who was brave enough to testify in the seventh hearing, Stephen Ayers, uh, basically said that if Trump had earlier requested everybody to leave, they could have saved a lot of uh, you know bloodshed, violence, and possibly lives because clearly he described himself being under undue influence. And when the cult leader waits many hours to tell people to go home, that's a lot of hours that uh, could have saved, uh, a, a, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of heartache. And lest anybody be in any doubt about what kind of protest this was going to be, I know that there was evidence presented from a website called the Donald Dot Win, and Jody Williams, who is the owner of that website, which is now defunct, gave evidence, and there were posts from that website calling for protesters to bring handcuffs, to bring shields, and to bring bats. This was always likely to be a violent protest. Oh, absolutely. Another gentleman who was brave enough to testify, Jason von uh, Tatenhoff, a former Oath Keeper who had been a spokesperson for the Oath Keepers, said in no uncertain terms what it was going to be was an armed revolution. He said, let's not mince words. And why that's really important is, again, I look at people like my podcast host, Jim Stewartson from Radicalized Pod, who repeatedly told people uh, on Twitter who he could reach to please stay home because he hangs out in the gutters of where this digital poison permeates and he knew they were coming armed and that those who would be anti-Trumpers were going to be bearing the brunt of this. Well, the anti-Trump faction didn't show up. The Trump faction showed up and that left them only to beat up on cops. And so I just think it's very important that when we look at what happened, that there were people sounding alarms to not show up but had they have shown up, it absolutely would have been uh, much more of a bloodbath than it was. Yeah, we should say that the leader of the Oath Keepers, this far-right group, somebody called Stuart Rhodes, has been charged with seditious conspiracy in relation to his alleged role in the Capitol attack. He has pleaded not guilty. Just want to say that for the record. Talk to me about this aspect of Trump's supposed 
childlike innocence, because that was drawn attention to in the sense that people who are speaking in favour of Trump or in defence of Trump, uh, trying to present him in some way as the as an innocent child to whom all these things were just happening. Well, you know, it's all about what plays in the 18 to 49 demos, right? It's all what sells and what plays. And it's like, okay, one minute he's a strong man using the strong man language like we saw as he, uh, you know, uh, encouraged everybody to go march on the Capitol knowing that they were armed. In the next, uh, you know, chapter, it turns out it's better to portray him as just an innocent and in order for him to get out of, you know, uh, trouble. And so what we're always talking about, and I always try to bring it back to this so we're not confused is we're always talking about corruption. Someone like Trump is gonna come to power like Mussolini et al to hide their corruption. That's what's happening. I think we have enough evidence uh, in, in every chapter of this story, we find Trump obstructing. We absolutely find him after all these days of testimony to be at the center of an armed insurgency. So if they have to portray him as a naif because they think that might get him out of, you know, give him a get out of jail free pass, they're going to try that. But what did we see? We saw what William Barr called the normies, the people there doing their jobs in the White House uh, versus the conspiracy, uh, you know, I don't even want to say tinfoilers because I do believe that the Mike Flynn's and the Roger Stone's and even Sidney Powell, whatever she is, knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to find an angle to get Trump to not have to uh, relinquish his power. And that really is what it's all about. Um, but, you know, man, to, to think that this would just be like, you know, yes, he probably has a terrible explosive temper, which would petrify everybody. And he'll throw things at walls to scare people, just like a spoiled brat would. But as a naif, uh, no way. And I do think that's why Liz Cheney opened with that. He is, you know, very well aware as a veteran micromanager, what is happening in his uh, various plots and subplots. Yeah. Liz Cheney, again, for people who are new to this, is the vice chair of the committee. And she said that the hearings have forced allies of Trump to present him as an impressionable child who was swayed by crazies when, in Liz Cheney's view, he knew and chose to ignore the fact that allegations of voter fraud were not backed by evidence. And again, the evidence that was heard at the latest hearing demonstrated that there were many senior people who Trump should have listened to who were telling him that this is not a fraudulent election. You have not been cheated of the presidency. Oh, my God. Yes. And we are not going to seize the uh, voting machines and we're not going to believe that there are some nefarious foreign uh, interventions in Venezuela and Italy. And honestly, as a veteran news producer, I'm looking at everything and I'm picturing that meeting that they brought up now many times of December 18th. And it's like sitting around the war room with a bunch of TV producers going, let's try to do it this way. Let's try to script it this way. You know, and that's exactly his mindset. He had enough experience on his TV show 
which by the way, let's not pretend that any of that was real. He had a TV show um, that was fake. The producers knew it was fake. He wasn't some, you know, big giant billionaire. When they first showed up, they saw a crumbling empire with furniture that was chipped and a guy who never paid his bills. And they created a mythology around him that sold very well in the 18 to 49 demos. Uh, There was a book that also sold very well, The Art of the Deal, which was based on an imaginary character that Tony uh, Schwartz, the author, created. And this was all sold to Americans. And and Trump very well and very knowingly picked up a lot of, uh, you know, tips in this reality world. And you can't help but watch that particular hearing and not hear echoes of WWF you know, world wrestling, you know, when you, when you hear Alex Jones, who is a propagandist who, um, you know, was featured in the hearing and you hear him using like a WWF announcer's voice, uh, you know, you can kind of see uh, what was played on the people. And again, one thing, Adrian, that just, it, it, it broke my heart again, as somebody who worked uh, as a TV news producer, when one of the gentlemen who testified, Stephen Ayers, who was just a guy who said he was a hardcore social media guy who was radicalized on social media, showed up at the Capitol because his president asked him to. And he said he was waiting for the big reveal. Okay, the big reveal, that is reality TV language. Mm. The big reveal never came. And my heart in particular broke listening to uh, these two guys. And again, I call them brave and I call them courageous because once people who've been under undue influence realize that they've been duped, there's so much shame involved. And Stephen Ayers talked about losing his job and losing his home and the things that came with him being radicalized by Trump. And I think I've told you before in 2006, I interviewed all these victims of a Ponzi scheme that Trump was affiliated with. And it was the same thing. So my heart broke. These guys lost all their life savings. This guy, Stephen Ayers, lost his home and his job. Trump leaves this kind of wreckage. And how do we penetrate the millions of people who still believe that someone like me is the enemy? someone like me trying to do this work of truth. And that's really where we're at. Yeah, Stephen was one of the participants in the riot, obviously repentant, said Trump got everybody riled up. And then in his words, we basically just followed what he said. But going back to this sense of Trump knew that these claims that he'd been robbed of the election were fraudulent. There's a a White House counsel called Pat Cipollone, who we've mentioned on this podcast before. And Cipollone Cipollone said, look, this is not true. There was a meeting, this meeting in December, saying the election wasn't stolen and challenging Trump and his advisers to prove their claims and it all got very heated didn't it turned into a bit of a a shouting match between them well yeah because you have the you know disgraced lieutenant general mike flynn 
you have the Trump whisperer, Roger Stone, you know, the Roger Stone's not at this meeting, but these two to me are like a twisted Rosencrantz and Guildenstern subplot. Like everywhere they go, there's the, they had photos of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys in these pictures. We see where all of this is going and we see that they're showing the connective tissue. But in that December 18th meeting, when you have Sidney Powell uh, trying to come up with uh, the various conspiratorial plot lines to sell to Trump, and then you have people like Pat Cipollone uh, saying, you know, this is all bullshit. You have various other, uh, you know, White House attorneys saying the same thing. And you could see that that Trump wanted to go with anything that was going to allow him to stay in power. And that was the supreme dereliction that, uh, you know, uh, the chairperson, uh, Benny Thompson, spoke of. Um, There was supreme dereliction every which way you went. And of course, then you've got other side characters you know, Rudy Giuliani sticking his two cents in. Quite frankly, what we need is what is at the beginning of a Shakespearean play, a tragedy or tragic comedy. We need like a list of who all the players are so we can keep them straight at this point. But you had, you know, the Mike Flynn's and the quote unquote pillow guy, you know, and, and Sidney Powell. And again, whatever she is, like when, if you watch the hearing, what is she? You know, somebody who was radicalized by Flynn, like, what the heck is she? Flynn actually, who was pardoned by Trump, along with people like Stone and Bannon, who has his own subplot going, uh, you know, Flynn at one point seemed to, you know, he he pled guilty that he lied to the FBI during the whole Trump-Russia thing, and then enter Sidney Powell's stage left. And suddenly he's got this new lawyer, he rescinds the guilty plea, and another, you know, nefarious plot line continues. It's, um, it's embarrassing. And I don't think that we can view this with any other lens than trying to put a reality TV lens on this uh, so we can see what all the players are up to and then listen to the people who are leading the hearings and the witnesses to see what is actually real and what actually led up to the American carnage that we saw on the 6th. Mm. Again, just for the record, Roger Stone, who is a very experienced political operator in the United States, has denied any wrongdoing. He told Reuters, the news agency, any assertion that I knew in advance about was involved in or condone any of the illegal actions at the Capitol is false. Any claim that I knew from any member of the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers about any plan for illegal activities on January the 6th is also false. Heidi, you referenced earlier the idea of Trump and MAGA, Make America Great Again, being a cult. Where did that idea come from? Um, I host a show and co-produce a show on disinformation called Radicalized Truth Survives, and we interview um, people from all over the world to have experience with undue influence. Either they were brainwashed themselves or they were, um, you know, somebody who, who wrote reports on how all of this goes. So 
But one of the people that I interviewed very early on was a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Hassan, who actually wrote a book called The Trump of uh, the, the Cult of Trump. And he was somebody who was radicalized into the Moonies as a young man, completely going about his life, suddenly surrounded by a couple of beautiful women. He had just been going through a breakup. He was a young man in college. And before you know it, he's this nice kid, grew up not far from Trump. Suddenly he's radicalized and he's out there like, you know, protesting on behalf of Nixon and 18 months later, through an accident that he was in because he was sleep deprived, he was separated from the cult. And the one person who hadn't turned uh, her back on him when he was radicalized was his sister. And because of the kindness she showed him, he was able to have a safe place to come back. And he has dedicated his life to uh, writing about and helping people uh, get out of cults and understand cult dynamics. And so many people who are experts in this field, when they saw what was happening with Trump and they saw what was happening ever since he came down the elevator, uh, they saw this as him using cult dynamics. And some of it's the con man dynamics, that kind of love bombing, you're special, hey, you over there. But what people don't realize is that they are often the marks. And so I managed to put that together with my uh, investigations of Trump that have, that have occurred over the last 20 years, where he was always affiliated with things that uh, weren't what they appeared to be, and the people who would show up to get rich or get this knowledge were all, it was always their pocketbooks, which were the marks. And that is why we can't forget in the hearings, we learned about the big grift. And that is that stop the steal. There was never any evidence that this was legit. The big lie, the whole thing was a way to raise ultimately a quarter million dollars, still TBD on where that money went. But uh, I learned from Dr. Stephen Hassan. I recommend everybody uh, follow him. He has a beautiful website, freedomofmind.org, um, I believe. And it really can help people and it's so important for your listeners to know, Adrian, the people who get sucked into these worlds, sucked into QAnon, sucked into Trumplandia, when they finally realize they've been duped, as the oath keeper who spoke at the hearing realized he'd been duped, uh, and his story, which I'll talk about in one second, uh, they, they feel this tremendous amount of shame. And it's not easy for them to talk about it. It takes a long time. And if they don't get help, they can often get sucked right back in. And I learned that from a Rand Corporation expert. But I just want to tell your viewers one quick thing. Jason Tatenhoff, who spoke, who was a former Oath Keeper, who had gotten sucked in uh, through the Bundy Ranch and various uh, you know, radicalized methods, he snapped out of his fugue state, whatever you want to call it, because he overheard some people talking about how the Holocaust was all just a hoax. And for him, he knew that was a bridge too far. He didn't know how he would feed his family. He told his wife, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this anymore. And thank goodness for that, because he had the courage and a Descendants t-shirt, SoCal Punk, by the way, to show up at the hearing and share his experience and his knowledge with the um, 
committee members and and the world, and we're all uh, uh, better for it. We all uh, learned uh, quite a lot. Always like a shout out to SoCal Punks here on the uh, Byline Times podcast, ID. Just want to finish by reflecting on one of the more sinister aspects of what is ultimately a pretty sinister series of events. You've described Trump previously in terms of being a mobster and talked about his persona and his business enterprise and his political enterprise being built in the mould of a mobster, of a mafioso. In that context, Liz Cheney, as I say, the vice chair, and although this is a Democrat-led committee, she is a Republican, she revealed that one person yet to be named, a witness who is going to give evidence at these hearings, had been subject to an attempt by Trump to engage in a conversation. Now, the witness didn't respond to Trump's phone call. but uh, So we don't know what Trump might have said. Might have just been inquiring about the weather. Who's to know? But it just feeds into this sense of dark manoeuvrings, of threats, of intimidation, of Donald won't like that. Well... Yes. My dear friend, Ruth Ben-Ghiat, just uh, referred to Trump as a, you know, veteran criminal. We've got evidence of it, uh, who is linked with global mafiosos. So I think that we would be wise to not underestimate how dangerous the situation is that we are in, how dangerous it is that a guy like that who allowed his properties to be purchased uh, through shell companies, which trace back to uh, various oligarchs, uh, we would be very unwise to not take the situation quite seriously. there's a lot of things that Trump is. And of course, he has a decades long history of settling on the courtroom steps. So, you know, a plausible deniability doesn't generally, you know, text or email. That's why they can change the plot lines as long as they like. He's a strong man one day, he's infant the next day, whatever really sells. But we know that it was, um, as 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 George, you know, Bush said, that was some weird shit when he looked at the, uh, you know, the inauguration that day, and he saw, you know, people in fur coats who did not look like people who showed up at previous inaugurations, and uh, we are still not um, out of the woods by any uh, means. This is a guy who would absolutely run from prison if given the opportunity. And how he and his cohorts are still walking free is something that is, um, you know, is is tragic in my mind because they are still out there every week, uh, sometimes daily, radicalizing people. Mike Flynn and Roger Stone, his two cohorts, Trump himself, 
he'll still go to any city that will have him and he will still continue the big lie, AKA the big grift. And uh, we have a lot of people under undue influence right now that we need to get back. You know, we need to get them back. And it's, it's apparently what I've learned is you only get people back one at a time, but we need a mass de-radicalization the way uh, Germany had a mass denazification. Um, and it's that urgent. It's, it's that urgent. I think that when they showed all the different comments on the seventh hearing from the people who've been radicalized in the various white supremacists out the country, uh, out, you know, around the country, the only way to view that was as a, you know, a dire, dire situation. And, um, you know, they, you know, Benny beautifully said that American carnage is Trump's legacy, but I don't think we've seen the worst of it. We shall see. Heidi, thank you so much for your time as always. Heidi Sigmund Kuda, do check out Radicalized Pod, on which she is one of the key players. Great to hear from Heidi. She also writes for Byline Times as well. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. Get details of how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Heidi, and we'll see you soon. Cheers now.